Okay, um, so we've been in this series talking great, um, greater than these, talking about what does it look like to bring the kingdom of God um, and participating with Jesus in the kingdom mission that he is on. And um, the greater thing we talked about last week was that we get to participate with Jesus unlike anyone before Jesus King David, all these famous people, John the Baptist, we talked about last week, you know, we are greater than all of them. And the reason we're greater is that we get to be used by Jesus, participate with Jesus, to bring people into the kingdom of God, to change their life for eternity. That's crazy. And that God would choose us where his plan A, there's no plan B, and that this is exciting. I mean, this is you know, slicker than grease moose poop. And you are going to want to be a part of this and, and listen to this series because this is what we are built for. This is what we are designed for. And it's fun and it's amazing. And so we're looking at different ways that Jesus built his kingdom. We need to know that. We need to, what does the word of God say? What do we stand on uh, when it comes to doing this? Because he is the director of this and we step into this. We're empowered by the Spirit. It's, it's not on us. We're empowered by the Spirit. And we do what he, what he did and what He's doing. And we just step into that. Okay? And so we're going to look at that today. One dimension of that. It's a story of a woman that I heard about. I read it somewhere. And she was married to this dude. Okay? And this guy got in an accident and landed in a wheelchair. Okay? He's going to be in a wheelchair the rest of his life. And she... Um, gets the opportunity, God comes along, and she leaves and divorces her husband that's in the wheelchair, and she marries another person. And a couple years after this happened, a friend came over and was talking to her about this and just kind of chatting about it. And this woman's response was, are you trying to make me feel guilty? I refuse. I don't feel guilty. I had my chance. I had to take it. Everyone has a right to happiness. So this is her perspective. This is our reality. Right now, in the Western culture, we all believe we deserve happiness. We all believe that joy is the center of our life. We are entitled to pursue that regardless of the consequences. Regardless of the consequences. Her husband, a few few years later, committed suicide. Because his, life, his wife left him. And in the same way that she was pursuing joy, because he lost his, he lost his life. He took his life. Happiness and joy are the thing that we live for in this culture. Yet it is the thing that eludes us more than it ever has in the history of the world. We hunger for it. We crave it. We get jobs that we think will give it to us. We are in relationships that we think will provide that joy and happiness. We think if I have this relationship, if I get married, oh, then if I have a child, then that will bring me joy. If I get this job, that will bring me joy. If I make this much money, that will bring me joy. If I'm famous, that will bring me joy. But it eludes us because we taste it. And it tastes like happiness and joy in the beginning. But over time, it slides away. And it leaves us empty. C.S. Lewis, in the 1940s, um, I talk about this in the life course, actually. In the 1940s, did a radio interview. And he said this in the radio interview about joy. 
He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. There is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. There is such a thing as water. Men or people feel sexual desire and there's such a thing as sex. If I find myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the only probable explanation is I was made for something in another world. And so God's given us this desire, right? And we go to all these things trying to meet this desire to find joy and to find happiness. And C.S. Lewis is saying, but you won't. Yet you have this. You have this given to us by God. And so if you can't find it here, it make, the logical thing is that it exists somewhere else or God would not have given it to us. And what we do in the light of not feeling this way is we blame ourselves, right? Man, if I was just doing working harder, if I, if I wouldn't have messed up, if I, if I didn't have this addiction or if I, if I would have done this differently, if I would have finished school, I wish I would have said yes to that job or whatever, we blame ourselves. And the enemy does this to us because we believe if we work harder than on ourselves, we'll find joy and happiness. Or we blame other people. My circumstances stink. I've been, you know, I've been cursed. You know, the world's after me. It's a conspiracy. I knew this was going to happen. We blame, you know, we blame other people and the way they treat us. We blame the world and the, our, our circumstance in the world. And we blame God. We blame God. Man, if God was a God of love, then how come I'm not feeling it? If God, like, how come I don't have this? How come I don't have that? that, that? I pray and pray and pray. It's your fault, God, that I'm unhappy. It's your fault that I am not experiencing joy, that you promised me. But C.S. Lewis says, no, you feel this way because the earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy you. They were given to only awaken your desire for joy to suggest the real thing. So the desires of the world that God has given us, the good things in the world that God has given us, all those things I talked about, relationships, love, work, all these things, they're good. But they were given to us by God to bless us so that our hearts would come alive and long for the true thing. That they would awaken our hearts and our hearts would go, this is awesome, but I want more. Where can I go find it? I can't find it here. And Jesus is like, yo, baby, what's up? It's over here. And that is the kingdom invitation that God gives to us, that Jesus calls us into, and that we are called to participate in him with that. Jesus is joy. In uh, John 16, 22, Jesus says, you will see me, and when you see me, you will rejoice and when you rejoice, no man will take your joy from me. Nothing will take your joy from me when you see me, when you experience me, regardless of what's happening in this world and this relationships with everything else, my joy cannot be trumped. My joy is full. My joy is complete, unlike any joy that you will find in the world. The kingdom of God, when we talk about participating in that, we're calling people into a kingdom of joy, not a kingdom of boringness. Not a kingdom of condemnation, not a kingdom of judgment, which is what we often do. Okay? And so, like, someone in our, I, last night, I mean, I often can't sleep whenever I preach or whatever, and just this, this thing, like, Jesus said, you know, um, for the joys before me, I endured the cross, scorning at shame. 
I sit hand on the right hand of the Father. And the whole night, just going on in my head, just like, what, who's the joy? What's the joy? That Jesus, why do you do that? Was, the, the joy for Jesus was what the Father had for him and the intimacy of the Trinity. And Christianity, you've heard me say this, is the invitation into that love relationship. And the joy of the Father is you. The joy of the Father is you. The reason he got his son, commanded his son, the reason he crushed his son, is what Isaiah says, is because you are his joy and he wanted to be with you. He wanted to call you into this joy relationship that they are in together. It's another sad person uh, that woke up. They woke up in the middle of the night saying, I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. Right? She woke up singing that. It was Martha. Anyway, she woke up singing that. I was like, thank the Lord. I'm preaching on maybe just preaching on what God wants. Right? That's always a good thing. And so, um, yeah, if you don't have transformation today, it's obviously your fault. Okay? I'll say this. This is hard. This is hard for me. Right? I struggle with this. I mean, if I could have anything, it would be joy. Because with joy comes peace. With his joy, you don't want anything else. You don't want anything else. But inside the church, we struggle with it as much as we do outside the church. Because this is a real battle. The enemy knows if he can take us out in this area. And we become consumed with trying to find this joy. And Jesus says, I am the joy. I am life. You're only going to find this in me. Brian Robinson was, did, like, youth ministry last week for the first time in, like, 20 years or whatever. And he's like, the kids loved it. They're amazing. I was awesome and all these things. And he's like, they had such a good time. He goes, but we didn't do one thing that was spiritual. And I was like, that's all right. I was like, dude, that is the kingdom of God, that the father gets to see his children play. For there's laughter and there's joy. I told him I was going to say this. He goes, I mean, people can get like, that's going to create some concern with parents. Well, that's not the only thing the kingdom of God is. We teach the full counsel of scripture to your kids. We pray for them. We raise them up in the Lord. But the kingdom of God is a kingdom of joy. And when our children experience that, it's a reflection of what the father desires for us to experience. Man, have we forgotten how to play? Have we forgotten how to rest? When we play, we often feel guilty. I do. I don't want to play too long. I got work to do. Father loves when we play and we experience this joy. And so we're going to look at, it's my favorite story in the Bible. Um, it's a story of Jesus turning water into wine. And uh, if I married you, there's a chance that I use this story in your wedding. I used it like Tom and Kit were my first ones. We've been married 20 years now. You're welcome. And, <laughs> and, and uh, I love this story. I love it because it just teaches how amazing Jesus is, what he has for us. He desires to transform us into something we never could be on our own. And we're going to unpack it today. I learned some things I've never seen before in this. I'm going to share it with you. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, he didn't say it like that. I'll tell you how he said it in a minute. What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. 
Jesus said to the servant, that's like 630 bottles of wine. Okay, 630 bottles right there. Boom, okay. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn it knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Canaan and Galilee and manifested his glory, and the disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Let's just pray. Father, just come through the power of your spirit. Open our hearts to receive your word, the truth of your word, that we would live differently. We know that this is a miracle that's about the kingdom of God. Why? Because God is glorified and people believed. Okay? So that's, that's what it is. Okay? So we know that this is an example, a sign that Jesus did that glorified him, and that's what miracles do. They glorify him. They point people to him and draw people into the kingdom to believe. Okay, so we don't, we, we, this isn't like a one-off, like, yeah, I might just, you know, kick off my party with a little wine making or whatever. No, this is the kingdom of God moving forward, the kingdom of God beginning, Jesus choosing this miracle for a reason. Okay, I want to give you a little overview, is that um, the overall theme that I'm going to talk about is that there's a wine shortage, okay? There's a wine shortage at this wedding, and Jesus has to fix it. He's the only one who can fix it, Okay? Now, wedding feasts back then, you've probably heard this talk, are a big thing. Okay, it's the biggest day in the life of the bride and the groom. Massive. Okay, but also it's a big deal because the whole region around them was invited. Okay, so it's like, come one, come all, we're going to celebrate this. This is a big deal. Okay, and so everyone in the region was invited to this festival. And there'd only be like one or two a year. Okay, and so this is a, a big deal. And there's a rabbinical saying that says, where there is no wine, there is no joy. Where there is no wine, there is no joy. The wine was the joy of the feast. If you didn't have wine, there wasn't good wine, your feast was lame. Your feast would be talked about forever. Okay, so this is a big deal that things are running out. The whole, everyone in the reason is there. And the joy is running out of the party. And you know this, like, you're like, oh man, you go up to the buffet table at a wedding, you're like, shrimp's gone. <laughs> Tenderloin, gone. Asparagus, carrots, dip, hummus. Sorry, the bar's closed. <laughs> right? So you're like, peace out. Love you guys. Good to celebrate. And I'm leaving because the joy is left. The fun is left, right? No, I'm joking about that. But in those, those times, that is what's going on. So Mary comes to Jesus because this has got to be fixed. This is, a, this is dangerous. Like, this is a serious deal for this bride and this groom. This is the biggest day of their life, okay? And she says, have you heard they're running out of wine? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Jesus gives this crazy answer. He gives this crazy answer. And he, and he says this. He says, dear woman, dear lady, he's chilled about it. He says, my time or my hour has not yet come or arrived. In the book of John, chapters 12, 13, and 17, Jesus' hour 
means is a reference to his death, okay? The very time of his death. So when Jesus, so when Jesus would have said this, it would not have made sense to them. It would have sounded crazy. It would have sounded crazy. Here's what it would have sounded like. It would have been like, Mary walks up. Do you know what, Jesus? They're running out of wine. This is going to be terrible. And, and it was. And Jesus turns to her and says, woman, I'm not ready to die yet. That's what, would, that's what they would have heard. Woman, I'm not ready to die yet. What? That means that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. But Mary, understanding, she tells the servants to obey him anyway. So what does this, this statement mean? What's happening in Jesus' mind? Why would he say that? Well, Jesus is there, right? And he's sitting there and he's watching this happen. He's watching this happen. He's watching the, the wine run out. He's watching the joy leave. He's watching people singing and laughing and dancing. And he knows the wine is running out and this party is about to end. This party is going to be a shame mark on this family. People are going to be disappointed and let down. It's underwhelming. And with the wine, the joy leaves. And he begins to realize that this is just a metaphor for his life. For the very reason that he came. And he is the one. He knows this. I'm the one who has to fix this. I'm the only one who can fix this. He is the one that will have to deal with it. The reason Jesus is acting so strangely, acting so sad and so abrupt and not making sense, it seems like, is that he knows the only way for him to restore joy at this wedding and joy eternal will come through his death. And he's sitting there thinking about this and he's watching this unfold. The father probably spoke to him through the spirit or opened his eyes to this reality. And he's just sitting there, amazed, and he's watching all this happen. And he's realizing the only way that they can sip from this sweet cup, from this amazing wine, the only way that we can experience this joy, this life, this great cup that he has for us to drink, is that if he drinks the poisonous cup, if he drinks in fully God's wrath and God's judgment that we deserved, Death. He knows that this is the beginning of a ministry that will lead to his death. And we know that he knew this because he chose the ceremonial purification jars to fill the wine with. I'm going to be the one who can purify you. Not this. I'm going to be the one that fills your heart and your life where there is dirty feet water or washing your hands water that is required for you to purify yourself. I am going to fill that part of your heart in a way that that joy will never leave you, that that joy will purify you, that that joy will give you life in a way that you cannot find life on your own. And he says in Luke 22, Father, if you're, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Okay, so this is just before he's crucified. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and the sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. So this is what's going on. We celebrate, we celebrate the blood of Christ in the form of wine or grape juice. Jesus loved to talk about his blood as wine. And the reason is because wine had medicinal purposes as well. That you would put wine on the wounds to get rid of the infection. And wine also brought great joy. So Jesus is saying this, unless you see that my blood has to be the thing that you trust in, my blood is the thing that has to cleanse you, you'll never know this joy. If you want joy, if you want life, then it is only through my blood and your wounds and your brokenness it only through my blood cleansing you from your sin so that you can be forgiven by my Father, that you can find life, so that you can find joy that will never leave you. And he's saying, come to my party. Come to my party. Your joy won't run out. The kingdom of God that I am building is a kingdom of joy, is a kingdom party that you are called to feast in. Come and feast on me. Come and share in the, the work of the cross, so that you can be filled with joy. That's what we just celebrated. We celebrated the body of Christ broken so ours could be made whole, the blood of Christ shed so that our sins could be forgiven. So we have all these people around us, right? And they're searching for this joy. They're searching. This is what they're after. This is what they're saying. They're like, I need this. I want this. I can't find this. And it's killing me. It's killing me. I feel dead. And we go, they're, they're going from thing to thing. And Jesus is saying, he's saying, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, whoever finds their joy in me, whoever finds their joy in me, he's saying this to us, will also do the works that I do. Will also do the works that I do. The greater works than these will he do. Jesus threw a party. Jesus said, look at my kingdom This is what my kingdom is like. This is the invitation I'm calling you to. This is what we're called to do. We want to participate in the kingdom mission of Jesus? Then start being fun Christians. Start being Christians that aren't boring. Stop being Christians that are not fun or that are just condemning. I told Craig before this. I don't, I don't, I mean, I was like, I gotta be joyful. This gotta be a joyful talk. I'm not, I'm excited. I'm not like, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I mean, I said, this I struggle with. But this is a reality. And the church thinks at this. The church thinks at this. We want people to come into our church, clean themselves up. Don't do this. Don't do that. Read this. Stop watching our movies. Only watch PG movies, right? And Lord of the Rings. Well, that's kind of sketchy too. You know, you can't go to bars. You can't smoke. You can't do all these things. There's no life there. There's no life. We're not inviting people into life. Jesus didn't die so you wouldn't watch our movies, okay? Jesus didn't die so you wouldn't smoke. Jesus didn't die, and I could go on and on and on. Jesus died to give you life. When people look at the church, when people look at us, we need to be living a life that isn't narrow and marginalized and boring and lame. Now, does that mean we should be just like off the chain, crazy drunkards or whatever? No, I'm not saying that. And you don't have to do that because when our joy is in Christ, when our joy is in Christ, there is joy in everything. There is joy in all that we do. Whether we eat, we drink, we do it all. 
Jesus walking down the road. There's a drunkard. Why is he called a drunkard? Because he was drinking with people that were probably drunk. He was hanging out with people, women who were in prostitution. Do you think that they looked at Jesus' life and were like, nah, lame-o? No. I've never met anyone who's fallen in love with Jesus, who has followed Jesus, and their life was like, pew, like, man, I had this great life, and then I started following Jesus, and now it's horrific. No, that's not what happens. Jesus is the author of life, the giver of life, the perfecter of our faith. And he is life. When we have him, we have life. When we have Jesus, we have joy. Again, like, this is this first miracle, folks. Like, when you're de- debut, like, when you're getting ready to say, like, this is what I'm about, like, front page, this is going to be on the front page, this is what people are going to remember, this is what people are going to talk about for all time, like, this is a big deal. This is what he says, this is what he chooses to demonstrate what my father's kingdom is like, what you should expect from me, what you should expect as my kingdom moves forward, and what you should expect is joy. He could, you know, he could have raised someone from the dead. This is what my kingdom is like. I raised someone from the dead. This is what my kingdom is like. I fed 5,000 people. This is what my kingdom is like. I heal the sick. I cast out a demon. Those are all logical, logical things that he could have done. But that's not what he did. That's not what he did. He did what he did because he wants us to know that he is the source of life and of joy, of happiness. And that's what we have to look forward to. That's what we need to be calling people into the kingdom to experience. That's what Jesus wants us to pursue and experience. And if you're not experiencing it, if you're not experiencing it, then Jesus is the only one who you can find this from. That you can find this from. And if you're unhappy in your life, you're unhappy in your job, you're unhappy in your marriage, you're unhappy in your, in your family, you're unhappy wherever you're unhappy, that means if that's taking you off the rails, if that is sending you sideways, it's because you're looking for joy in those things. And the solution, the only solution is Jesus. He's the only solution. And when we go to Jesus and we experience this joy, Jesus promises us, you will see me and no one can take your joy away. Nothing can take your joy away. It doesn't mean we won't suffer. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle. It doesn't mean that we won't have pain. But like Craig said in that story, all it takes, folks, is a little bit of Jesus. A little bit of Jesus will rock your world. A little bit of Jesus will change you for eternity. A little bit of Jesus is enough to grow into your heart and to drive out the light, to change the desires of your heart so that you will not desire the things of the world. You won't want them. And when people see that, and they see that kind of joy in the midst of your brokenness and your struggles, they will want it. They will be drawn to it. You will be participating in the kingdom mission of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus, you know, when you think about the end of time, like this guy was sitting, thinking about, he's on his deathbed, and you think about, man, what's going to be at the end? What do you think about? What do you think about what the end's going to be? Like, when you die, we're all going to die. When you die, what do you picture in your mind? What do you think's going to happen? The Bible tells us exactly what's going to happen. It tells us exactly. The Bible says the end will be like the marriage supper of the Lamb, the marriage feast 
of the Lamb. A feast to end all feasts. The Bible tells us that on the last day, we're all going to be brought into that feast. Everyone who follows Jesus, everyone who knows Jesus will be brought into that feast. He will give us what we have longed for in a way that we've never experienced. He has given us joy. He is giving us joy. But then our joy will be made complete when we are with him in eternity. And this will be our feast. And we will feel like the bride was meant to feel on that day of the wedding ceremony. That I am beloved. That I have this person to trust. There is a man who loves me unlike anyone ever will that I have been blessed with. We will come into that feast and we will be married. Our bridegroom, the church comes, we come and the bridegroom is Jesus. And he's like, look at all I have for you. Look at my love for you. Look at how I feel about you. I've never been sad. I've never been mad. I've never been disappointed. I've only had joy, affection and love for you. Do you believe me now? And we will not be able to say no because we will be overwhelmed with the feast and the joy that we're experiencing. It'll blow our minds. It'll blow our minds. It'll be unlike anything we can imagine is what scripture says. Isaiah 25, it says this, the best wine, folks, has been saved for last. It's been saved for that wedding feast. The joy that we've never experienced has been saved for that wedding feast. And that day, the Lord of hosts will make for his people a feast of the finest meats and wine well refined. That's like a rhyme. On this mountain, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people, the brokenness of his people, he will take away forever. The Lord God has spoken. That's awesome. That's what you're going to experience at the end. That's what we're inviting people into. That's what Jesus was thinking about. That's the hope and the joy that was set before him that allowed him to endure the cross and sits at the right hand of the Father was the invitation that he would be able to extend to us to be with him for eternity at this feast. Jesus built your joy sensors. He's wired you for extreme joy. He has built those sensors, and he is the only one that can meet those needs, that can give you the joy that you long for. And this is the feast that the world is after, that the world, that your friends, your family that don't know Jesus, this is what they need. This is what they need. To experience the miracle, the joy that you cannot lose, we have to drink him in. We have to receive Jesus. We have to consume him. And that's what we did at communion today. Then and only then will we experience the life he has for us and be able to offer that joy to others. In prayer today, Jesus invites you to come and drink freely of his wine and his joy. It heals, heals you, it heals your wounds, it heals your brokenness. It heals your pain, takes away your anxiety, and restores you with a joy that nobody can take from you. Nothing in this world can take from you. That's the invitation. That's what it looks like for him to build his kingdom within us. That's what it looks like for us to invite people into his kingdom. Let's stand.